This is the 1984 Flyer Die Podcast. And today I have a woman who cannot be defined by one word. Sounds crazy, right? But damn it, it's true. So um, this one woman, I uh, went into a shop on on, um, Second to Market, known as the Kink Shop. Now, if you want to know what that is, I can tell you. It's a place that sells... uh, what, sex toys? Is that the best way to, to describe it, I guess? Right? And I went to the counter. I said, hey, I got a podcast, and I'm looking for a sex educator. And the lady behind the counter said, hmm, I have a person for you. She said, Tim Marie Lee. I said, Tim Marie Lee? She said, Tim Marie Lee. I said, cool. So I went to Facebook, found her on the profile, and there she was. And her resume spoke for itself. So I want to introduce to you Dr. Because she has a PhD, and that is not a play hater's degree. I mean, it can also be that. Good. <laughs> We're going for that. Yeah. Zach, for the first question that I wanted to ask you about um, would be, what brought you into the world of um, sex education, but more so, of course, human sexuality? So the, the TLDR version of that is like, I don't understand why more people aren't like, I can talk about sex for a living. Like that's, that's an option. I'm constantly shocked that everyone in the world isn't trying to do all of my jobs. Cause I think they're really fun. I think all of my jobs are super, super fun. Can I cuss on this show? By the way? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I think all my jobs are super fucking fun and I am shocked that I am the only one doing some of them. And, uh, so the, the longer story is that like as a kid, I was like a nerd and I like reading and my mom is an English professor. So my house as a kid, it's filled with books and I read all sorts of stuff. But, the, you know, obviously the most interesting things are the sex things. Like everybody finds that stuff interesting. But not only did I find it interesting, like I'm a nerd, so I retain it. And then more importantly, I find comfort uh, in talking about it. Like it doesn't make me feel weird. So I was the kid that you could talk to in school about like whatever your question was, whatever your problem was. And like, not only did I have like the, the book information to give you, but I would be discreet and I would be, um, like empathetic to whatever the situation is. I don't have to be into it. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to live your life, but I will try to understand it from your perspective and then be helpful to you. So that was a thing that was always really important to me and I found a lot of meaning in. Um, and then when I realized that such a thing was a job, I was a teenager and I was like, well, that's it. That's what I'm doing. 
end of story. So I built the rest of my life around that. So I was like a peer sex educator and HIV prevention counselor. Um, I was doing, you know, like workshops for, for groups on like healthier sexuality, STIs, uh, contraceptives, that kind of stuff. Um, all with the plan that I would go to grad school for this. Cause again, nerd really like school. Um, and in that way, I just got to like talk about sex all the time. And I got to be around other people who wanted to talk about it all the time, but nerd out about it. Um, but on the other end of it, once it's all over, I end up with these credentials that now people will listen to me. <laughs> so that's nice. Um, yeah. So so now I just get to spend all day talking about fucking, and uh, it's pretty great. And uh, it's also like a form of activism, in my opinion. So I'm out there battling against depression simply by being willing to talk about it. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that. There's two directions I want to go in, right? I think one feeds into the other. For one, why are we as people so weird about sex? Well, just, like just in terms of like why yeah. the taboos and why are, why are we so like so afraid to talk about it? So let's talk about when we started being weird about sex. That'll answer the question, right? So, um, from a perspective of humanity coming up and out of, you know, just like trying to survive into a place of civilization. Um, it was incredibly important to be able to get everybody on board with like whatever the civilization is. It's incredibly important that everybody agrees on a set of values and like works towards a shared thing because we are social animals and we need each other to survive. But, um, collective collaboration stuff is difficult. It is time consuming it requires explanation and a degree of democracy. What's way faster is to have systems of control and power and to have hierarchies. And in order to sustain those hierarchies, we come up with a variety of belief systems in order to keep each other in line. And having ideas around sexuality, something that literally every single person has some investment in, whether you're sexually active or not, you still have like a sense of yourself as a sexual being. Your gender, your perspective on your own body, uh, your relationship with uh, your own skin. Um, sexuality is a part of being a person. And so if, a, if another person in power can tell you what to do with your body and can tell you who you're allowed to touch and who you're allowed to love and who you're allowed to call your family, uh, there's nothing they can't control. So it is incredibly useful for religion, for government, for even within family systems, for someone in a position of power to control your sexuality. And for that reason, we have a ton of stigmas around it. Which sexuality is okay? Which bodies are okay? Which bodies are okay to be seen in public? Whose sexuality is important and valuable? Whose sexuality is normal? And because of that, we just have all these like totems and these superstitions, for lack of a better term, uh, that we are slowly crawling out of as, as science is catching up to all of this just like magical thinking. Wow. Because of what you had just described, it's the idea of sexual repression occurs in society. And I know people who, are, who are, feel like they are activists and fighting against that. How, I'm trying to figure out the best way to frame this question. How can we end sexual repression? Because there is a quote by Patrice O'Neill on his like, Black Phillip podcast, and he tells the guy, he says, um, 
don't feel, don't ever think it's your weird for what turns you on. You know, in terms of like, express yourself, you have to explore yourself and your, and your sexuality to get to a place of being content. So how, how do you battle that? So I approach discussing sexuality from um, an activist perspective in many ways. Um, <clears throat> I also approach it as an educator. I approach it as an artist. I, I approach it as uh, a reporter. So I happen to have all of those jobs, right? Like I write for Philly Weekly. I'm a sex educator. I'm a burlesque performer. Um, and all of these are different ways to translate the same message to people because I have to find them where they are, mm -hmm. tell them that you're okay. It doesn't... It, you're probably not the only one who feels that way, but even if you were, that's all right. Like he said, like, so what? You're the only one who likes that thing. Awesome. You have a hundred percent of it to yourself. <laughs> you know? Like, great. Um, so it's about finding people where they are so that they are able to hear the message that sexuality is simply like a part of being a person and it is a means of communication. And that's great. And pleasure is valuable simply because you like it. You don't have to have an explanation. You don't have to make something out of it. It doesn't have to make anybody money. It can just be a thing that you like. And this is tied into all other systems of oppression that we have to break through. So to have any anything that breaks up systems of control, whether we're trying to eradicate racism, sexism, homophobia, ableism, yada, 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 sexuality is a part of that. And we can't go forward if we keep maintaining these other systems of oppression, right? Like, so... Like feminism that doesn't include the interests of people of color is just white supremacy. And any system of like fighting for LGBT rights or fighting for, you know, whatever has to include all of the other identities that are being marginalized because we have to just see the whole web for what it is. All of these things are social control. And the reality is that you have the right to design a life of your own choosing no one else gets to sign up for you. And so when I, when I speak to activist circles, I talk that way. When I'm in performance space, um, you know, just doing burlesque is an act of resistance to say that it's perfectly okay to be like turned on by looking at bodies and to be turned on by showing your body. And then, you know, just reporting on the things that are valuable and important to me. So, um, we, it's a, it's a, it's a multidimensional system of oppression and, there's no one way to take it down. We have to come from every angle. Everybody has to get on board. Indeed. Because um, I remember reading about like the sexual revolution that occurred during the 60s amongst the flower children. And I see that history is repeating itself now more than ever because I feel like now it's including everybody. You know, because back then, from my, from my perspective, I just thought it was about, okay, you know, men and women coming together and being like, hey, we're freaks, let's get freaking together. But now I see that as, as incorporating every form of person, not just heterosexuality, homosexuality, and there's um, intersexuality as well. well we, can, we can talk about intersex, that would be a little bit of a, like a derailment, but I can definitely talk about that. Okay, but I know that's all involved in mm -hmm. like this. I feel like cause everybody now is getting their, getting their time in the sun now. You know, because it's being, it's not as taboo to be discussed on like websites or, you know, on TV. I feel like that's, it's evening up the, the playing field. I think that the, the sexual revolution has been a thing ongoing forever, 
and it's just looked different. So like the sixties is the, is the most proximal in our recent memory. Uh, also because baby boomers think that they invented everything, (laughs) but, um, you know, like before that there had been revolutions before then and before that and before that. And like, I think about the late 19th century, and the sexual revolution where they first came up with the idea of sexual orientation. Like the concept of heterosexuals didn't in, did not exist before like the 1860s. Really? Yeah. So like when we, when we talk about um, things like the ancient Greeks were cool with homosexuality. No, they weren't. They didn't understand that concept. They wouldn't understand the, the idea that we think of. So for most of history, in again, si- like recorded civilized history, where you know that we we think about it versus like when we are all just like trying to survive in in small groups. Um, for most of it, sexuality was about responsibilities and obligations to each other. So in ancient Greek society, for an example, because that's like a frame of reference for a lot of Western culture. If you are a landowning dude in Greece, you fuck your wife because that's who has your kids. You like go hang out with the courtesans who are the sex workers and they were the only women who were allowed to be like cultured and like educated and you'd sit around with them and you'd, you'd smoke and drink and then you'd have like weird freaky sex that's like for pleasure and naked also because when you fucked your wife she was probably just lifting up a skirt because it wasn't about like romance generally speaking it's about you married that person not because you were in love with them but you married that person because your parents and their parents had like adjoining land or something it was a good deal to get married most of marriage for most of history has been entirely an economic thing it was like a late 19th century idea that you married the person you liked and that's like that's a poor people's thing. Mm-hmm. Up to that up to that point nobody did it, but then like if you don't have any land to worry about, you marry whoever the fuck you want. But most of sex was, you know, based on roles. So in ancient Greek society, if you were a landowning dude, you had a social responsibility to help mentor the next generation. And so these like young guys would come up and part of your responsibility was to teach them how to be an aristocrat, and that included a sexual relationship. So the idea of them being okay with homosexuality is not accurate and to say that they were okay that they were pedophiles isn't even necessarily accurate it had to do with like these are the people that you have this type of sex with and we still have some degree of that we've just changed what's okay and the same sort of model existed in other places like japan around the same time had a very similar model so it wasn't just the greeks that were doing that and what we now do is kind of this crazy inventive concept of like sleeping with who you're attracted to (laughs) like what and then marrying that person because you like each other that's so novel um so we're just like making this up as we go along and we're figuring it out but our sense of history is so limited that we think whatever's happened within like the last hundred years is probably how it always was it's just that's just not accurate wow it really blew my mind because like you said (laughs) because because how we're programmed you would just think that Okay, yeah, heterosexuality was like the thing throughout time. Now, how you explained it makes perfect sense. It seems that whenever you have like someone to control or some kind of system that's in place, it kind of always like fucks up something along the way. Well, it's not to say that there aren't heterosexually oriented people. Like you like whatever you like, you know, but to say that someone, like for instance, just asking the question like, What's your sexual orientation? The way most people would answer is something like straight, gay, bi, 
pansexual, something like that, right? That is actually the answer to a different question. What they're answering is, how does my gender compare to the gender of the people that I sleep with? That's literally all that's answering. That doesn't tell me anything about who you're interested in beyond who's like whose bits are a deal breaker to you, right? Like it doesn't tell me how often you want to have sex, what kind of sex you have, how many partners you have, like what does it matter in your life? Is it a super important thing or is it something you can do like once every six years, like a sex camel, like whatever. Like it tells me nothing about you. It tells me literally nothing except for whether or not like you you can you want innies and outies, right? It tells me nothing. So we have this really limited conception of sexual orientation because we don't ever get to just like sit there and be like, what do I actually like? What am I really into? There's so much about like, this is what men do. And this is what women do. And then when we get like a little more open-ended, this is what gay guys do. And this is what lesbians do or whatever. But still, it's it's not about the question of like, what gives my pants feels? <laughs> <laughs> And then who gives me butterflies in my stomach, right? And those can be those can be different things too. I think that would be a great name for a book. What gives my <laughs> pants feels? <laughs> I think that would be excellent. Feel free to write it. I definitely will. <laughs> it goes to the next question. So, how powerful is human sexuality? I would argue it's probably one of the most powerful forces of you know, like humanity, made more powerful by how taboo it is. So, like, it's not that taboo to have sex. It's actually kind of taboo if you don't have sex in many ways. But it's very taboo to talk about it. And in in that way, it holds an incredible amount of power. Um, the fact that uh, you can blackmail someone about some facet of their sexuality shows that it's very, very powerful. Um, it can also just be a thing that, like, overwhelms and takes over your life. But it usually only does that when you feel very limited in your ability to express it. So here's just a story that I, um, that I had from, from my, I do my own podcast is called sex with Timory and we've been doing it for a very long time. But when I was new, newer, it was like one of our first hundred episodes. Um, a dude on Twitter who went by photo pig hit me up and he wanted to talk about his fetish and he's very, very into being humiliated. He wants to be, exhibited he wants to have like words drawn on him he wants to be called names he wants like beautiful young women to call him names and and make fun of him and make him like post sissy pictures and blah 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 this is super interesting to him he likes it a lot made more powerful by the fact that he doesn't tell anyone in the world about it he tells the women that he hires but when we start talking on this episode i am the first human being he has ever told about this other than one therapist who was like not ready to hear it and like shut him down. And so this is the first time he's ever gotten to discuss this. And it's like, he's lost two marriages over this. He's no longer able to see his kids because like he kept this whole secret life and his wife was like, nope. And then he's always in danger of losing his job and all these things that are huge. And I'm just like, have you ever been on FetLife? And he's like, what's that? I'm like, it's basically like the MySpace of like BDSM, right? It's just like social networking, like very very basic way to like meet up with other people who are interested in the same stuff and he was like i can do that like i only knew i could go on craigslist and i could hire people it's like you can do that too but if you wanted to have someone who like just wanted to do it and you didn't have to pay them like you could find that and he was like what 
And we had this incredible conversation because all of a sudden he was like, you mean I might actually date somebody who's also into this? Like I wouldn't have to pay them. Like somebody might actually just be interested. I was like, yeah, I can think of like a bunch of people right off the top of my head that I know personally. And because he was so laden down in the stigma and the repression and all the judgment and the shame from our culture, he, his entire life was wrapped around this thing and it had so much power over him uh, and it didn't need to. He could just like integrate it as part of his life. Mm-hmm. He could have integrated it as a normal part of a relationship. But because he didn't realize that that was an option, like it was, he might as well have been possessed. Wow. Because I'll tell you this, fit life is an interesting <laughs> place. It's an interesting place. Because uh, I heard about it before, um, some someone back when uh, in New Orleans when I was living down there, someone was actually a member of it. I was like, "What the hell is that?" So of course I'm like, "Google's," you know. I got, I joined up. I, I didn't have a picture up, anything like that. I said, "What's this, what's this about?" And there was literally everything for everybody, and it was dope um, from that perspective because, like you know, people often worried about being judged and, you know, scared to be themselves. But there it was like a playland. And of course you had some people there, you know, creeps. Not like creeps in like, you know, that way, but in terms of people who were just there to see who, who can they can take advantage of and all that. But besides that minority, people really felt free there. And I think that's I think that's dope. But I wish that we as a society could be just that open where people can be like, yo, this is who I am. And put that, their actual like fetishes on their okay Cupid websites mm-hmm. or their tenders, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Like I know people have, we have a long way to go in that, uh, in that respect. So here's a question. Uh, how important, <coughs> how important are kinks? How important are they? Yeah, in terms of, you know, just like, People have like their fetishes and their kinks. Like, because I feel like for certain people, based on their life experiences, like you say, they're like they're like integrated into their lives. You know, because I was always reading about. I read this book before. Um, it was a pink book. Couldn't could the name of the book, but um, I saw that people really like live or die with these things. Mm-hmm. And I always try to understand, like, how do they reach that level with that? So, I mean, I guess it's it's sort of like, first of all, what do we mean when we say a kink, right? So our understanding of kink is based on our idea of vanilla. So if you're not familiar with that term, like vanilla is generally just um, the sort of the mainstream representation of how sex is done. And that's not even necessarily to say like heterosexual or whatever. Some people would say it's like missionary style, but it's whatever is, is pretty conventional. So, uh, it would include, you know, like when we talk about the going around the bases, right. Touch some tits and then head and then like there's fucking, and it's usually pretty, pretty limited in a number of positions that, that are involved in vanilla. So, um, things that count as kinks are anything like outside of that. So what people consider to be kinky range, it could be like anal sex. It could be bondage. It could be like, like men 
who like identify as men wearing clothes that are identified as like women's clothes. That could be a kink. Um, it could be pain. It could be power domination play. It could be choking. It could be blindfolding. It could be spanking. It could be like, it's like ultimately an endless variety of options. It's literally anything that doesn't fit in that original box. And by original, I mean like, you know, like what, what, Christianity or mainstream culture or whatever has said is normal sex. The things that you could do in the course of an average relationship and know that it wouldn't set off any alarms. Missionary doggy style <laughs> stuff. Yeah, the typical stuff. Yeah. yeah. So whatever you consider, whatever you and the people that you identify with consider typical. So that varies, you know, based on place to place and like if you're gay, straight, whatever. But kinks are just literally anything outside of that box and so what it requires you to do is be creative and to try things that you don't know whether it'll work or not and i wish people were as open to sexual kinks as they are to like foods and some people aren't open to foods like i know people who are like in their 40s and have never had indian food you know like <laughs> like it's just about being open to the experiences of life and you can try stuff and not like it and that's fine you don't have to like everything but you tried if if it doesn't sound terrible. So like there's gradations of that, right? Like in, um, for, for example, I highly recommend sometimes the website's not, but I highly recommend Mojo upgrade. It's this website where it just asks you about like tons of different activities and whether they were like, you know, eating pussy or like getting zapped with a taser, like any number of things that someone could be interested in. And you say, yes, definitely. I'm into this thing. Maybe I would try it. No, that doesn't sound right. And you gauge your level of interest and you can send the same test to a partner and they fill it out too. And then it will send you back the results on the things you were both interested in. The things that were yes or maybes, it'll tell you. So you don't have to go over and be like, so we've been dating for four months. How much would you like to choke me? You, know, like, <laughs> you don't have to have that conversation. Instead, it's go, so here's what our results are. Turns out we're both into piss play. All right, I'll, <laughs> I'll get the shower curtain. And then like, you can do whatever you want. So it's whatever uh, exists in the world that you might possibly be into. And so I think of sexuality for adults, to clarify, for adults, as uh, a playground and you, there are multiple ways you can use the, use the monkey bars, right? <laughs> like, just play with the equipment. Like, there's lots of things. You know, slides, There's it's kind of limited. You can go up or down. Right. That's really about it. But, you know, like, if you're creative, maybe you'll find something better to do. Um, then everyone will be like, oh, that's, that's yes. great. Right. <laughs> so when we talk about kinks, I think it's, it's, it's more about giving ourselves the permission to look at sexuality like as an art form as a sport as a means of creativity see now since you're here why not be honest right why not be honest and be up be on point see i went through like a journey of finding out like yo i had my own personal kinks too right Cause you know, like me, like come up, like with the homies you got, we ain't gonna talk about that. So I'll be like, mm -hmm. yo, what's up, man? What you do with her? Did this, did that, and that's that. Mm -hmm. But listen, I had like, I used to watch like bootleg porn at like eight, right? Then I started watching like real sex, and so I started watching this and that, right? So I seeing all this, all this stuff, and 
what it did to me was it kind of opened my mind up to stuff at a young age. So once, I guess I want to say over the past couple of years, I got, I became more sex positive and I decided to like try to like meet different, different women who were like, who could like expose me to more and Next thing I know, I found myself on FetLife and I'm like, yo. It was scary at first because you go there and you're like, yo, am I bugging out right now? Like, do I, do I even belong here? But then you read it and everybody's talking it and they're normal. They're just like, not normal, like they're, like they're just, they're themselves. You're like, yo, I got nothing to worry about being around here, you know? So it's like, it's been like an ongoing journey for me because I said stuff, more, more things I'm learning about. I bought books on like, being like being a dom, and I bought books on like this uh, book on it was called Erotic Identity. You know, there's different things I'm I'm learning about it, which in it, which in itself allows me to have a better understanding of what sex is, about you know different layers to it. Because back in my twenties, you know, I, did, I never thought about sex life as an actual life. I just saw it as something that you just did. You know, like yeah, sex, finna do it. Stretch my arms, go to sleep, <laughs> have a sandwich in the meantime, hey, you know. But coming to see sex as something that's, that that's mentions like transference of energy and mm. just the idea of kind of putting yourself into like this playground and you having this ability to, to explore. It's been very interesting to me. Now, one thing that I wanted to know about is like sexual health because you mentioned um you know being um an hiv um was a peer educator i was an hiv prevention counselor Prevention counselor right mm-hmm. and so we grew up so all that me and most of my friends know about sex health is like yo gotta get tested for you know for hiv and you know stds stis but is there also a mental aspect of sexual health Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I would say probably. Uh, I don't think we put enough emphasis on mental health in general. Um, Like the number of people who are just living with like depression and anxiety that's completely undiagnosed. Um, I think that's a really significant part of living in our culture today. Like the amount of panic that I experience on a regular basis from just like opening Twitter. <laughs> like the world is constantly ending and it's terrifying. And we don't, uh, we don't have enough separation between work and recreation. We don't give enough time to just like be by ourselves and do things that are like nurturing to our sanity. And just, we don't get enough sleep and all of those things. So in a, in a, in a way, it would be a part of a holistic wellness practice to talk about like what are your sexual values, what are your goals in sexuality, what are what are your relationship aspirations, etc. Um, do your behaviors line up with that? Because I think that's a really big thing that happens is that people have stated things that they want to accomplish in their lives or they're looking for in a partner, and then there's their actual behaviors which don't lead towards those things, and if that's the case in regular life, we would say that that's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. If your if your behaviors aren't leading towards the outcomes, like 
got to make some changes. Um, either change your, your goals or change your behaviors. Um, so in that way, I think that we don't offer ourselves enough opportunities to ask what it is we want out of life in general. And there's this thing called the relationship escalator that I talk about a lot. I didn't come up with this idea, but it's the idea that um, when you're dating, you hop on an escalator and an escalator, unlike stairs, goes at the same speed for everybody. And it's so what you want doesn't actually matter. When you hop on with somebody, you're going to go to one place at the same speed anybody else who's hopped on the escalator will go. So it's like we've we've been on this escalator for this long. Now we have these expectations of each other. We've been on for this long. Now we say these words to each other. We've been on this long. We have to decide whether um, we're going to do this thing or break up or whatever because everything heads to the same place at the same pace. And it's not at all designed for humans. It's designed for outcomes. And we get into trouble because we have expectations for um, like this is what people do, but it doesn't actually match with the humans involved because we're much more complex than that. And we end up hurting each other because we didn't have the vocabulary to have a conversation about what I really want out of my life. And what do you really want out of yours? And like, who are we to each other? And how do we design a life together where we both have those need met rather than being like, this is what girlfriends do. This is what boyfriends do. This is what married people do. And this is what people do when they've been married for 20 years, whatever. So that's, that's a trap we get stuck in and it's not something most of the world values of like breaking out of. It's like, there's so much judgment for anybody who makes any choice um, to like leave a partner who's perfectly nice, but you have totally incompatible sex drives, right? <laughs> like that sort of thing. Um, we just, we just don't value sexuality enough. So same as mental health. So it just doesn't get prioritized. So you mentioned, um, during what you mentioned about couples and leaving people and like things we should do at like 20 years in the game of being married. I saw an article in the paper about um, polyamory. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I ever saw it mentioned in like a Philly paper. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, they mentioned how they had a polyamory Facebook group. Mm -hmm. People were able to go there and meet up. Polydelphia. Yes, Polydelphia. (laughs) So, you know, how how does that work? How does non-monogamy work? Yes, because okay. again, and the reason why I ask that is because, you know, not to sound ignorant, but I come from a perspective where the system of values mm-hmm. was in place for me as soon as, I, as soon as I came out the womb, I'm like, boom, this is how it is, mm-hmm. you know, and because people have told you, like, at okay, like, if you have a wife and a kid, that's it. You're not allowed to love anybody else. Mm-hmm. But I've come up, and not to put family stuff out there, but you know, there was someone who was close to me who had a family, right? Then he had a family on the outside too, mm-hmm. which is common in a lot of families, you know? But it's like people, people want to judge you and say, oh, you can't do that. That's not right. It's not right. But who can really tell you who you can't love, who you cannot feel love for? Right. So how 
how, how, how would that work with polyamory? Right. Yeah. So to give context for this, like this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of the way that we have defined marriage. So the reason that we invented the institution of marriage, like that humans were like, let's do a thing where you're legally tied to another person that you're not related to, um, generally. <laughs> and uh, the idea was this is for the survival of our respective groups. So like my tribe over here and your tribe over here, um, if these two kids get married, then we won't war with each other because we have like the shared investment because they're going to have kids and those kids are going to be my genes and your genes. And so now we're buddies, we're allies and I own this property. And so my kid's going to marry your kid so that the property stays with my descendants. And I know that your family and my family can be allied in this way because I feel strongly about your economic stability. So now we keep the wealth together. Right. So that's how marriage was created. Love's totally separate. Love's just a thing that happens. Love is feelings. Love is a neurochemical response. Love is the result of spending time with someone and building intimacy and feeling positively towards them. It is, it is a pragmatic thing. It is a stupid thing. It is a silly thing. It's just emotions because humans have emotions and that's a part of it. And because of the way that marriage was shaped by history, and there's a lot of different ways marriage has looked in patriarchal societies, uh, you had as many wives as you could afford Right. So a rich man, a king could have, you know, like the kings in the Bible, whatever, had like 500 wives. Yet the Bible is used as the basis for this one man, one woman thing. But the majority of marriages in the Bible are actually polygynous. It's one man and multiple wives. You had as many wives as you could afford to support. So if you were a poor man, you may not get married. And then there's the other end of it where it's um, polyandrous, where it's like, multiple men and one woman, but because of the patriarchal nature of history, that's usually, again, you get as many wives as you can afford. So if you are in like a poor migrant, you know, family in Mongolia, you go in with your biological brothers and buy a wife. You split a wife. And then you have one woman who's doing all the roles for everybody because you know the the father of the kids that come out are going to be related to you. <laughs> so, so again, it's the same thing. It's like we have constructed marriage to be this economic thing. And so when uh, this moral thing swooped in about uh, love marriages, people who got together because I don't have any money. I don't have any property, but I feel very strongly about this person. I'm going to marry them. And your parents are like, sure. <laughs> like, I don't have any money. <laughs> like, whatever. We'll do dowry or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just pick someone who's going to be nice to you. Fine. Um, so then we introduce this love marriage concept, and it changes everything because we have to create this concept of romantic love. It is now new, right? We have had stories of it in the past for thousands of years because people have always felt it, but to connect it into institutionalized relationships that are accepted and recognized by the state, by your religion, etc., this is a new thing from the late 19th century. And so now we are taking in these bits and pieces from the past where all of these different messages are getting to us. And it's simultaneously women are our property. So there's a degree of like, ego that's involved and I have access to all of these women but also if you're just attracted to multiple people 
that I mean that just happens. Like there there's nothing it's it's not like some covalent bond that you know you suddenly become attached to one person and then sudden and have no longer have any receptors for anything else. That's that's not how brains work. Um so we are trying to catch up to romances has been told to us in stories and then marriages has been told to us through the law. And when you are in uh, a society where monogamy is the only option, you marry one person and that's it. It takes away all of our agency and it, and it puts this weird amount of burden on the other person. If I marry you, you have to meet all of my needs. You have to be my best friend. You're my domestic partner. I have to rely upon you to like pay your part of the rent and the taxes. And also you're my sexual partner. You're my buddy. You're the co-parent of my children. Everything. Everything's on you. And so we look at other people from this market value perspective. I need the best deal I can get with what I have to offer. I need the best provider, father, um, sex partner, etc. I need to get the best deal I can get with what I have to give an exchange because I only have one person who's going to do all those things. But if you approach from a perspective where there, that's not the only option, I can just exist in the world as an independent person. And if it makes sense for me to form a relationship with this person, because we have this in common, we can. And just because we have this relationship doesn't mean that I am closed off to the world. Like if we are really good co-parents, great. But if we have a really good sexual relationship over here, great. And if I'm really good business partners with this person, great. And if this is the person that I share all of my recreational interests with, great. Wonderful. I don't need them to be anything they're not. I just get to love them as they are. And we have to navigate amongst each other how those needs are met. And people do this all the time with friends. But when you enter sex into it, all of a sudden it's just like magically we can't do it anymore. <laughs> but like you totally understand how you have your friend that you go to the movies with, you have your friend that you go to concerts with, you have your friend that you have your deep conversations with, and they don't have to be jealous of each other. In fact, sometimes you can do shit together, but it's somehow magically impossible when sex enters. So consensual non-monogamy is just literally meeting people where they are, finding out what they're into, what their needs, their desires, and their limitations are. And then I have to do the same thing myself. I have to figure out what my needs, my desires, and my limitations are and communicate them to you. In monogamy, I don't have to commute those things as well. I mean, you can. People can communicate very, 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 very well in a monogamous relationship. I'm not saying that it's not possible for that to be healthy. If that's what both people want, by all means. It's just that. If you are doing it because there are no other options and that's the only way it works, I never have to actually do the emotional labor of figuring out what's wrong with me when I'm jealous. So if we're in a monogamous relationship and I suddenly feel jealous, I just tell you don't do that thing. Don't do that thing that makes me feel jealous. You don't want to hurt me, so don't do that thing. But in a non-monogamous relationship, I feel jealous. I have to figure out why. (laughs) I have to be like, is it because... I'm not getting enough time from you. Is it because the person that you're showing interest in makes me feel like we're in competition? Like we have a lot in common and they're a better version. Is it because I want to do that thing with you? And if you do it with them, then it won't be, you know, I want to go to Thor Ragnarok, you know, like (laughs) like you already went with someone else, you know, like that kind of thing. We have to actually do the hard work, the labor of searching our own insecurities. And so to avoid doing that work, we just say, no, you just can't hang out with that person. You can't go to that place. 
and monogamy allows us to avoid that labor. So that's the upside of, of poly. Not that it's for everyone. It's not the magical answer and it's a ton of work and it's not, not always like a blast, but that's how it works is you just have to do the work of relationships. Well, I learned a lot. <laughs> so I know, we're, I know we're running low on time. So two quick questions, right? Mm-hmm. One question is a friend of mine uh, whose name shall remain nameless, <laughs> but she wanted me to ask you, what are the best toys in the market? The best toys? Well, it depends on what you want them to do. See? You should have, have gave me more, uh, Cause like, more details, friend. It, like, do, do you want to get spanked? Do you want a vibrator? Do you want... Maybe she wants... Oh, God. I'm trying to assume. Maybe probably a vibrator. I mean, that's Here a pretty, pretty good answer. Like, most people like vibrators. Not everybody, but most people like vibrators. Um, gender regardless. Um, there, there are a lot of different options depending on the level of intensity that you want and the level of discretion you want for the advice or the device. Like, do you want to be able to use it when you have like roommates next door and they don't hear it versus like you want like powerful. Right. So, and it also depends on your, um, like budget. Cause you can get like a motor bunny or a Sibian if you want to put out like a few hundred dollars, like up to like 1500, $2,000. And it's basically like a saddle that vibrates and then you put attachments on. So that's like a piece of furniture, um, that's an investment. And then you've got, you know, like the rabbit vibes became incredibly popular because there's like the internal penetration part. And then there's the external vibration part that can be used. Um, like this is assuming this person has like a vagina and clitoris and then there's, I think so. okay. And then there's just lots of little like discreet bullet vibes. Um, I am obsessed with, it's like new brand and you, mm-hmm. um, They've, they've got some stuff that just like the charge seems to last for forever. I'm amazed by it. They look kind of like uh, shotgun shells. Um, then there's just a ton of things that are real cute. And I recommend, you know, like finding out, like going to a store where the, the uh, employees are educated and they can talk to you about like body safe materials because um, sex toys aren't regulated in, in the U.S. They can be made out of anything and they can be made out of stuff that's cancer causing because... There are states where it's illegal to sell sex toys, like Georgia, where they can only be sold as either educational things or novelties um, with the expectation that like, if, if they don't have to, they may make it out of really cheap, bad materials. So go to a reputable place and ask a person uh, to talk to you because they're, that's their job and they're really good at it. So um, I recommend you know, going to like a king shop, Sexploratorium, if you're in Philly, very reputable and their folks know what's going on. Um, but yeah, like... The, the magic wands are very, very popular, very powerful. They're the ones that are plugged into the wall, the ones that are rechargeable, so it's a little bit more convenient. You don't have to be within outlets distance. So those are all good places to start. Yeah, it's not going to um, suggest a magic wand. I bought, the, bought that for an ex-girlfriend, and it did the business. Mm. Well, all right, I want to say thank you for being a guest and for educating me on many things that I had no idea about <laughs> beforehand. I've uh, been an excellent guest and where can everyone find you? So there's a there's a few places, sexwithtimmery.com, T I M A R E E. Um and on Mondays, it's absolutely not safe for work cuz there's just there's just porn on there on Mondays. Um, and the Sex with Timmery podcast will go up on there on Wednesdays. You can also find it on iTunes and, and all of those places. And um, 
there's a sex with Timurie Facebook page where I'm usually posting like news and, and images and stuff like that. And, you know, people have conversations. Um, if you want to know more about burlesque in Philadelphia, because that's another thing that I do a lot of burlesquedelphia.com. So it's the word B U R L E S Q U E Adelphia, like the city.com. And it has the entire community's calendar on there. So there's burlesque every single night of the week if you want to watch it. But, um, I feel very strongly about burlesque. <laughs> nice. I have to come by and visit and check out the show whenever you're in town. I'll, I'll definitely do it because now I have to because, yeah. you know, got to show some love and support out here in these Philadelphia streets. Yes. I'll, I'll definitely do it. And uh, I'll spread the word, and that's what I'm going to do with this podcast. So I want to say thank you again, and one, two, three, and we're out of here. Peace.